Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Midwest Mamas, just some friends finding and sharing the good in the world. I'm your host, Alexa. And I'm your other host, Melissa. This awesome music is brought to you by Aaron Moses. Go check him out. Friends, we are so, so excited to bring you this conversation today. We had the honor and privilege to chat with Shannon Martin. If you are not familiar with Shannon, she is an author and lives in Northern Indiana. We heard about her a while ago through Jen Hatmakers for the Love podcast. And what struck out to me at the beginning of their conversation is Jen said something like, and she lives in Goshen, Indiana. I was like, what? Because that's where I'm from. But that was just the start of a blooming admiration that I had for her. So we started following her blog and on social media and got her books. She has two great books out. And so from that, we just really felt called to reach out to her to see if she would be willing to be on our podcast. And she was so gracious and kind and was willing. And so it is our privilege and honor today to bring you this conversation with her as she talks about how to be a neighbor, how to have community where you are, and just having the ministry in ordinary places. Enjoy. Okay, listeners, so we have Shannon Martin here with us, and we are so excited for her to join our show. Say hi, Shannon. Hey. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. (laughs) We thank you so much for doing this with us. So one thing that I wanted to share was when um, we heard about you on Jen Hatmaker, we started looking more into you, and I feel like your name was popping up everywhere. and. We were like, okay, let's read her books. And once we started reading your things, I just felt like you are so relatable and your books just really hit home to me. And I feel like I was made or like I, this timing, I had to read your books with what's going on in my life. And if it wasn't for listening to another podcast, um, I might not have ever heard your name before. And so I'm very, um, I'm very um, blessed to be able to read your your words because it really hit home to me and I felt like those were the words I needed to hear in my life right now and yeah. I think a lot of people around um, could relate to you because you are so relatable and you tell it like it is and you don't candy coat <laughs> things and it's just great. Well thank you I love it's always fun to hear you know how people kind of find other people online and yeah, yeah that, that's super fun to hear so thanks for sharing that with me. And you're funny. Like you have a lot of like funny comments, like where I just laugh out loud. Like you know, when, oh like, no, necessarily the like find the two to together. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you know to the extent that that sometimes people do find me relatable. I think I'm just, I'm just super super ordinary. You know what I mean? Like that. Mm-hmm. I just I have no. I have no ideas that I'm in any way fancy or that I know what I'm doing at all most of the time. And so I think that just must come screaming through. Um, Yeah, you just kind of what you see is what you get. And I don't know any I I don't know any other way to handle that. So sorry, world. No, you're doing great. (laughs) So Shannon, for our listeners who might not know about you or just know a little, can you just give us some background of you? Like, who you are and just a little bit about your family and life. Yes, I'd love to. Um, my husband, Corey, and I have been married for almost 20 years. And yeah. I I say that first because I feel like the past 
handful of interviews I've done or podcasts, I've said that first because it's so shocking to me. I'm like, I cannot believe that I can say those words. I mean, it feels, you know, like it, that sounds like a really long time, but we met in college and um, we've been married for a long time now. We have four kids and all of our kids came to us through adoption. Mm -hmm. So we have Calvin, who is, he is almost 14, like in the next couple of weeks, he'll be 14. Ruby is 13. No, scratch that. Ruby is 12. (laughs) (laughs) And Silas is 10. And then our oldest son, Robert, is 25. And he came to us most recently. Okay. So he was like our, you know, our surprise baby, only a grown man. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was, it, was a, it was a literal big surprise for our family, but he has completed us just in really special ways. So that's our gang. We live in Goshen, Indiana. So it's a real small city, mm-hmm. um, as you know. And yeah, we're right up here by the Michigan line. So it's still freezing cold here. Um, yeah. We're trying to, we're just trying to cope with that. Mm-hmm. And my husband, just a handful of years ago, I don't know, we moved to Goshen after living out in the country. We moved here maybe seven years ago at this point and a couple of years after moving into the neighborhood, which is a whole story that I know we'll talk about today because it's really, it was just a real game changer for my family. But not long after moving here was when we adopted Robert. And then soon after that, Corey transitioned out of work in federal politics and became the chaplain of our county jail. Wow. Yeah. That's a big career change. It was a big old (laughs) shift and we're just so grateful every day. It's just such a, it's, it's such a good fit for him and he would not mind me saying this at all, but I, I still am like, who would have guessed? I mean, I, I never would have thought, you know, one thing that Corey should do someday is become a jail chaplain. (laughs) It just, it took us way by surprise, but it's been such a, such a great experience. And it's, it's really just kind of reshaped a lot of the way we live. Wow. I'm sure it's amazing. So what made you decide to become an author? I mean, did you always want to be an author or did you find something you were passionate about that you needed to write about? What made you get to the place you are today? I, you know, I wish that I could say, yes, I always wanted to be an author and my dreams came true, but that's not at all the way that it happened for me. I spent my whole childhood thinking I was going to be a doctor and I even went off to college with a, you know, with a scholarship that was going to put me on that path. And so any number of ways not the least of which is the fact that I realized I'm extremely squeamish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just have my youngest Silas just right before we started recording today had a loose tooth and we haven't done that for a while, but I was like, Oh, dad's not here. And he does, he pulls the teeth. (laughs) Right. Like I can't, but I had that thought of like, how in the world did I ever think that I was going to be a doctor when I cannot pull my child's tooth? (laughs) Um, But yeah, anyway, I, you know, I ended up with a, with a degree in psychology and my husband and I lived in Washington, DC for a little, for a little while, not long at all, about a year. Um, We both kind of fell into political work. And so, you know, I did that sort of policy, the policy end of political work for a while, but I had always like, you know, between my 
my classes in college and then the work I was doing out of college, writing was something that I did a lot of in my work. And it's something that um, came pretty naturally to me, but it wasn't creative writing. You know, it was just more Mm -hmm. technical writing, but I, you know, I liked it. Um, It wasn't hard for me. And so when we started our family, I started a blog just like everybody did, you know, 13 (laughs) or 14 years ago. And that's when I really, that's when I really discovered that I did enjoy writing creatively. And I realized that I really, um, I processed my life, especially through all of the transition that we went through with moving and jobs and, you know, just our whole worldview really shifting. I found that I was really processing that through writing. And, you know, so I would say now that I, I sort of found my voice as a writer in the country. Then we moved to the city and that's when I discovered that I really had a story to tell. And so, you know, I think at the point that those two things sort of connect, that's when, that's when I personally felt like, okay, I would maybe love to write a book one day. And I didn't know if it was going to happen or not, but here we are. Yeah. So I kind of fell into it in a lot of ways. I, you know, I say I fell into it because it, it wasn't something that I, that I set out to do, but I also, um, there was really no falling to it. I mean, it was just a lot of slow work. I was, I blogged for 10 years and I blogged a lot. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't want to make it seem like, and then overnight, you know, this happened, that's not at all the way it went. But I, you know, I think for those 10 years that I was blogging, I was really practicing and I, I didn't know it, but I was just, you know, the more we practice, the better we get at something. And that's kind of what I was doing. Oh, wow. So, and you, um, that's awesome. And I think that like you saying like, just didn't happen overnight, you know, like, I think that's something we tell our students a lot, just like take time and you have to persevere and yeah. So that's it. I had to also come to the understanding of, you know, a lot of the, a lot of other bloggers around me were getting book deals years before I was. And so I had to even come to the point of, of saying, you know, this is something that I thought I wanted to do, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And I had to answer that question within myself of, you know, do I still want to keep going? Do I want to keep writing just because it's meaningful to me? You know, so even if I never write a book, and I think that can be a really important step along the way too, is just understanding that, you know, this might look differently than we hoped it would, but maybe it's it's just the thing that we need to keep doing. Mm-hmm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so in your book, Falling Free, which I started listening um, through Audible, was uh, you talk about just like the road to becoming a family and how it's different than what you originally thought it would be. Yeah. So can you just tell us, and you kind of like touch base, you know, touch a little bit ago about how some of your children, your children are adopted. So can you Uh just tell us a little more about like the plans you had for your family and then the reality of what really happened? Yeah. You know, I was just that woman. And even when I was a kid or, you know, when I was younger, I was not the person who was just dreaming of being a mom one day. Um, Like a lot of my friends were, I mean, a lot of my Mm -hmm. friends, that's, you know, that was their, their whole dream. And, you know, a lot of them, a lot of my friends from high school went on to become teachers and elementary school teachers. And, you know, that was, they just had this thing about kids and they loved kids. And I was always like, 
I don't I don't really know so much yeah. <laughs> about that. Um, I mean, but I, I knew that I would eventually want to be a mom. It just wasn't like the top of my list at the time. I knew that eventually it would be. And so when that day came and when suddenly I felt like, okay, now I'm ready. And, you know, then I was surprised to discover that that was not going to go the way I thought it was. And so, you know, we were handed this this strange gift of infertility and, you know, really, um, really taken off guard by it. You know, it's just one of those things that you know that it happens, but you don't imagine that it's going to happen to you. And I think I had always approached life with this, you know, this kind of I'm going to make stuff happen. You know, if it's, if it's something I want, I'm going to find a way to make it happen. And this was just not something, you know, it just wasn't going to work that way. And, you know, so we, you know, we did the, we did some of the more kind of basic things that you do when you find yourself facing infertility. And then we just got to the point of, you know, when, when the really the big decisions have to be made and when, when the stakes get a little bit higher, um, at that point, Corey and I both just pretty naturally kind of veered into adoption territory. I mean, we just kind of knew what our own limits were. And um, we were excited about it. I mean, I just I remember though the whole journey of infertility was really painful in a lot of ways and, you know, lonely and discouraging at the point that we knew we were done with that. We we felt a lot of pretty immediate excitement over the idea of adoption, but we knew nothing about adoption and we didn't know people who had adopted really. You know, we just knew we knew vague things about it. And so that was just a whole new, just, you know, uncharted territory for us. And so we jumped in and, you know, we had, we brought home little Calvin Lee from South Korea. Um, and then, and then it just went from there. So that was one of the first times in my life that I can really remember thinking, okay, this was, this was way outside of my plan for my life, Mm -hmm. but this is really good. You know, it's not it's not easy. And I talk a lot and I write a lot about just the struggles of adoption and the the grief and the the hard things that come with adoption, because I think we owe it to ourselves to tell some of the truth about that when we're able to. Um, But, you know, it was a good surprise. I just I I I had these beautiful kids and it was complicated and it was unexpected. But I was a mom and they were you know, they were part of a family and, and God's picture of my family just looked different than what I had imagined it would. Mm-hmm. And were you both on, like, were you both equally wanting to adopt, like an equally excited or was we, it like more one than the other? Yeah, no, we, we for sure were both just excited about it and on board. And, and it was a pretty unified decision for us. Mm-hmm. That's good. Because uh-huh. yeah. I know some people like one might be more like, yeah, let's adopt. And the other's like, well, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> For sure. You know, Corey and I, we have a, I mean, I have a fairly strong personality. Um, I'm always surprised. I mean, we're really different. But a, a lot of the these big decisions that we faced, a lot of the stuff that we've come up against just, you know, as as a couple, we have kind of 
been able to walk through a lot of that together. And I'm really grateful for that because I know that that's not the way that it happens for a lot of people, you know, Mm -hmm. so in any number of decisions, sometimes there's one person kind of forging ahead and the other one's sort of holding back and digging in their heels. And that wasn't really our experience, but. Yeah. And you touched a little bit about Robert, just that being your surprise baby but he was right an adult but Can he you was share a little more six about foot him? three <laughs> oh my god um, <laughs> well because you usually don't hear about people adopting you know older kids or you know adults right. you know so right. that was very interesting to hear about your story yeah I you know I and that's one of the reasons I love to I mean I love to talk about Robert because he we just I just love him with my whole heart mm-hmm. um but I also, I love being able to share with people the idea that we don't have to draw these tight parameters around, you know, how we build our families. I think mm-hmm. we became pretty, you know, after we had already adopted, I mean, we didn't adopt initially with any sort of moral um, awakening or, you know, we weren't, we weren't trying to to change the world or, you know, do anything spectacular. We just wanted a family. And, but, but along that road, we started to become more and more um, attentive to God's heart for families and for people misplaced from families and, you know, people who were alone in one way or the other. And I just, you know, now we, we just have a lot of people in our lives and a lot of people who we would consider family who who are alone or who are even orphans, but they're, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, I I spent some time with one of my best friends this morning and she's an orphan and she's 66 Mm -hmm. years old, Mm -hmm. you know, so she's become kind of an extension of, of our family. Um, But yeah, with Robert, you know, we had, we had known him for a, a few years before he became an official part of our family. And, um, yeah, he just, you know, he comes from a, a really um, difficult background and upbringing, and, and he was more or less on his own in a lot of ways. And when he circled back into our life after kind of disappearing for a short time, um, not long after that, he was arrested and was, you know, in jail. And while he was in jail, that's when we really just, you know, we we came around him and we were you know, we just kind of, we kind of became his people and, and he became ours, you know, through that process. And so we just, we spent a lot of time writing letters and, you know, doing these jail visits and phone calls and all of those things that you do, which, you know, was brand new to us. We had never Mm -hmm. set foot anywhere near a jail. And so we were, we were kind of navigating a lot of that for the first time. And then, you know, we had a really beautiful, um, adoption people talk about gotcha days, like the day that Mm -hmm. their child became theirs. And we had this really beautiful, Mm -hmm. meaningful gotcha day with Robert right before it was actually the day he turned 19. And then he was the day after that, um, he was sent to prison, which we knew, you know, when you're in jail, a lot of times you're waiting to be sent somewhere else. And so he was sent to prison. He was there for about a year and came home to us and moved in and you know he's just been a huge part of our family and our lives ever since then wow that's amazing that is so i know you briefly talked about um starting off on a farm and that you transitioned to the city life and that kind of started your story 
Um, so how was it like moving from farm to the, from the farm to the city? How was that for you? Like how challenging was it? How did you adjust? I, I mean, it was, it was a huge adjustment for yeah. me and for our kids. Not even so much our kids. Like we liked to say at the time that, you know, we were, our kids were just our, the, the big thing that we were most concerned about. But once we got here, they just rolled with it, just like kids do. Mm-hmm. You know, they were young. At the time, Calvin was in second grade. Ruby started kindergarten here and Silas was in preschool. So they were so little yeah. that now this is really, especially for the two youngest, this is really all they know and remember. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but for Corey and I, it was like, you know, it was just a huge shift. And it was more than anything, it was, I mean, we had this change world, you know, things looked different. We went from living out in the middle of nowhere on six acres to living just right. in a very ordinary Mm-hmm. Um, kind of shabby neighborhood. And so there were just, you know, the, the physical differences. But but more than that was just all of this philosophical, um, you know, kind of these existential crises that we were in the midst of that, that took us from point A on the farm to point B where we're at now. And, and I think that's a lot of what made that transition just feel so big. And it's it's one of those things that the longer we're here, you know, we just this is very much our new normal. It's very much our home. We are just obsessed with our community and our neighborhood. Um, but it's it's just a unique thing to go from living a life as both Corey and I had done really our entire lives through, from childhood, you know, up into our mid 30s to come to see that we had always lived in places where we were surrounded by people who looked and lived and believed exactly like we did mm-hmm. forever, yeah. you know, and we didn't grow up together in the same town as kids, but, but we grew up in very similar communities to the point that, you know, we didn't even have cause to realize how homogenous our world was. It's just <laughs> all we knew. And so we just, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't see what we didn't see. And so to to break free from that and to choose to, you know, to willingly walk away from that and to walk towards um, difference and diversity and, you know, just in some ways, whenever we encounter difference, it can feel like tension. You know, it just you're forced to think about things you'd never thought about before and you're forced to think about ways you were wrong, ways that you had maybe even caused harm. You know, we invited a lot of tension into our life when we chose to kind of pull up stakes and and move. And so, yeah, it was just a really, it was a pretty emotional and, yeah. and kind of confusing time in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. Oh, well, and I mean, I know you love Goshen and I love Goshen. And like thinking back to living there, you know, like I have a lot of really great memories and my parents still live there. And so we, you know, when we go back to visit, we go to the Chief and right. the Coffee and the Ben Soft Pretzel. I love it pretzel. that you know this stuff. Yes. Like, I wish there was a Ben Soft Pretzel here. I know. <laughs> I'm so terrible. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair to wish for that. I know. <laughs> 
But so can you, in your book, you just talk about um, community and kind of how Alexis said earlier, like I felt like that was really speaking to me too. I feel like I've heard about community through you now and just some other podcasts and my church, just the importance on it. And you'd kind of talked in your book about how your view has changed. So can mm-hmm. you just share um, just your previous ideas about what community was, but like now yeah. how you view and practice community today? Cause I think that's really important for a lot of people to hear. Yeah. I mean, I grew up, in a very small town. We lived out in the country. Um, my parents had, you know, a, a, a solid circle of friends around them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and so my childhood was beautiful. I mean, I, I wrote about it some in Falling Free. I, my parents still live where I grew up. I just, I look back and I had a very beautiful and pretty peaceful childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, we did not have a lot of money, but but most people in our community didn't. We were very much a working class mm-hmm. community. We were all sort of on on level ground um, for the most part. And and so I, I grew up with this with this understanding of community as being important. And I understood um, the value of it. But but the thing that I started to reconsider or to just maybe acknowledge was the fact that I I had absorbed this idea that our community should exist of our family. And by that, I mean, you know, the people that live under your roof with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, extended family certainly as well. And then people from church. And Mm -hmm. that's really that was the that was the beginning and the end of community for my family, you know, as I was growing up. And so it was a beautiful thing. And, and what could, what could we begrudge of that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I just, Corey and I became taken by this idea of um, just finding, drawing community, especially once we moved here to Goshen. So we moved to this neighborhood and I didn't know anybody in this city. I'm not, I'm from Ohio originally. I'm not from this area at all. Um, And so when we got here, I, Corey had a couple of people that he knew, you know, from, he had sort of business acquaintances, I guess. He knew some people around town. I didn't know anybody. And so we, we arrived here and understood that we wanted to to really learn what it meant to live as a neighbor, Mm -hmm. because we were starting to notice all of these verses all throughout the Bible where, you know, God is talking about, this is what, this is what faith is. This is what true religion looks like. This is how, you know, people know that you follow me. And this is how, um, you know, this is, this is what it looks like to be a Christ follower is to love your neighbor. Yeah. And, and so we had to, come to grips with the fact that we didn't really know who our neighbor even was or why it mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were here to kind of, to learn some of that, but, but we were also lonely. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're, we're getting to know our neighbors and that's really slow work and it's, it's pretty, it can be um, pretty unspectacular and kind of monotonous even. And it can, it can even look like failure to somebody like me who was used to, you know, doing these, you know, I had this idea that ministry looked like doing some big thing for God. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I had to settle down. 
<laughs> I had to take a big breath and settle way down yeah. and understand that it was just going to take time. But in the midst of, of just kind of planting ourselves here, we started to see that we could just look around us and find our community. We didn't have to necessarily go out searching for them. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to necessarily um, have these, you know, this checklist of, okay, we're going to start a small group, but that means that people need to be in our our same stage of life, mm-hmm. our same socioeconomic status, our same, you know, we just, okay. we really started to embrace this idea that maybe the real beauty was in finding community with whoever was near us and particularly people who might see the world from a bit of a different perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like nodding my head to you. Yeah, I should do that. But then, you know, like it's actually like taking the steps to do it. Right. Right. Well, because it's, that's tension again, you know, I mean, it, there's something that makes us automatically a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. with, with the ideas of, um, you know, just, it's it's risky and it's vulnerable to kind of put ourselves out there. But here's what I'll tell you. I didn't realize how much of my life I had spent making small talk until I started spending most of my time with people who saw things differently than I did. Mm-hmm. And and conversation just became um, richer and I found myself more eager to listen and less inclined to speak. And, mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean, I mean, we still have tons of friends who on paper look very much the way we do. Mm-hmm. And we have wonderful conversations with, you know, I'm not, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but I, I do think there's, there's just something to be said for sitting down with people who you don't know their whole story and they don't know yours and you don't necessarily agree about everything. Right. And I love how like in your message, like one of the main messages in your, in your most recent book, the ministry of ordinary places. I love how you, you touch base on that about loving your neighbors and broadening your horizons with the people around you in your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you opened up your house as well to different um, people um, can you share with us how you view um, um, hospitality and how it's changed and how, you know, your home doesn't have to be Pinterest perfect in order to yeah. bring others into your home? Yes. My home to... never is picture perfect. Oh, <laughs> seriously. Well, I reading mean, some I... of your comments in your book, I was just laughing my head off just because I'm like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I think that I do that. Oh, my gosh. This right. Is, this That's is me. What... That's the thing. I think we're all, you know, that we're all kind of under the spell of believing that Pinterest or like Instagram worthy exists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't think it really does. I think some people are better at others and more intentional about creating that illusion, which I'm not into. I'm not, that's not my thing. Um, but I think we all, we all live, you know, we all relate to each other in, in these ways of thinking, yeah, you can take a really, tightly cropped photo and it, and it makes your whole life look like it's just Instagram worthy, but you pan out just a little bit mm-hmm. and all bets are off. So I think, I think a lot of us just kind of breathe a sigh of, of relief when we realize like, Oh, this is maybe how most people do live. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to tell you two, I'll try to keep these brief, but I have two examples when you're asking about hospitality. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, Two of the here's two examples of the ways this has kind of shifted for us. When we moved to the neighborhood, 
we understood that gathering with people around a table of really any kind or just, you know, hopefully there's food on the table, but but there wouldn't necessarily have to be food on the table, but just welcoming people into our home was going to be critical to to this um, hope of of getting to know and then really loving and being loved by our neighbors. And so we just set out to keep our door really loose on its hinges and and anybody was welcome at any time. We found we found any opportunity and any reason, any excuse to invite people into our home. And so the more we did that, the more it continued to relieve that pressure on me to think, uh, you know, everything has to be just so. I need to be, you know, cooking this fabulous meal. Um, And honestly, I mean, our neighbors are just really down to earth people and they didn't have a lot of the pretense that that even I probably at one time had, if I'm being honest, you know, they just they made it really easy. Um, My husband, with his work as the chaplain of the jail and even with, you know, Robert and his friends coming around and, and different things like this. We just we knew that we wanted to create a space for for anyone to feel welcome at any time. And one of the rules that we kind of accidentally set for ourselves along the way was that we were never going to invite somebody to church if they had not spent time at our table. And because I think a lot of times the church just gets that backwards. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I remember growing up and feeling this pressure, like we had to invite people to church. And, you know, that was always the thing that you were supposed to do. And it it seemed really awkward and uncomfortable to me. Mm -hmm. And now I sort of know why it's because a lot of times, you know, if you don't have that meaningful relationship in place already, why would you invite somebody to church? And so maybe we can start with the relationship and start with dinner or lunch or whatever it is. And then, you know, years down the road, sometimes maybe you find that opportunity. Um, And so that was just kind of a shifting in our, in our mindset. So we, we just started, you know, making a place of welcome for um, people who are incarcerated. A lot of the, most of our church congregation at this point consists of people who are at the neighborhood work release center. So it's right in our neighborhood, but it's, it's like jail only you can leave for, for work and for church. And we discovered that a lot of, uh, you know, these, these people coming from work release, they had passes on a Sunday, but they didn't necessarily have anywhere to spend their pass. And so we just started to do lunch at our place on Sunday after church. And so, you know, the more you dive into stuff like that, the more I was like, okay, this is awesome. And I loved every minute of it, except for I didn't want to spend every Saturday cooking. Right. Yeah. You just, you know, the bar just keeps getting lower and lower. And, you know, you accept help from people and you, you lose this precious ideal of what hospitality should look like. And before you know it, I mean, it's just about um, a pot of coffee and a pot of soup and you're golden. Mm, And that's really that's really all you need. Mm -hmm. Um, The other little thing I would share is that last summer we had somehow we had a free Saturday evening and, you know, the kids were gone. I don't know where they were. And there were a collection of people, you know, at this point we had been in our community for five or six years there were there were a handful of people who we had gotten to know, but we didn't know them well. We hadn't crossed over into real social time together. 
And so we just decided, okay, we've got, you know, we've got this evening free. And so just, it was last minute, a couple days beforehand, we sent out a big Facebook message to a bunch of these people. Most of them kind of knew each other, but you know, these were people from all, all around. Mm -hmm. And we just said, who wants to come over Saturday night and sit on our patio? If you want to come, let us know, bring a snack to share. And there were six people who showed up that night. And that was last July, I believe. And the eight of us have now gathered at least once a month since wow. that night. And and so it was just another example of, um, you know, kind of taking that risk and going first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what so yeah. much of it takes is just being willing to go first. We didn't know who was going to show up mm-hmm. or how everybody was going to click and get along. And so, you know, yeah. some people weren't able to make it the ones who were, it's like, you know, that's where you just take a look around and say like, huh, here are my people, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's all there is to it. And so that's been, that's a continual lesson for me of, of what hospitality can look like. And we just, we don't have to complicate it. I'm going to do that this summer, Shannon. I'm I'm saying it now and I'm going to, when it gets just a little warmer and stops snowing and we can go outside. (laughs) It was yep. it was such a fun night. I mean, we ended up we ended up being out on that patio until like one or two in the morning. It was like the latest oh I've gosh. stayed up in such a long time. I yeah. know, but it just worked. Mm-hmm. And so then you walk away like, okay, these are amazing people. They live, most of them live within walking distance right. of us. What if we just did this more often? Yeah, mm-hmm. love that. <laughs> so, what would you in your latest book? The Ministry of Ordinary Places, which I love looking at the mugs on the front cover. <laughs> what would pretty? you say? <laughs> so yeah, pretty. They are. I'm like, oh, I want my those in my house. <laughs> what would you say is the takeaway from your book? The takeaway of the Ministry of Ordinary Places is that as you know, it's it's certainly written from the perspective of a Jesus person. Mm. So if we are saying that we are followers of Jesus, then we our our actual life is our ministry to him. It doesn't, you know, I, for so long, I, I thought of, you know, kind of air quotes, full-time ministry as you were either a full-time pastor or you were a missionary yeah. or you were off the hook, you know, yeah. and I was, <laughs> I was very relieved to be sort of off the hook. And I, I went to church, I tithed, I, I loved Jesus, but I felt like, oh, phew, you know, I'm not, called to full-time ministry. Right. And I think that's just kind of, you know, that's an injustice to ourselves when we, when we look at life that way. So to begin to understand that wherever you're planted, which, you know, we're all planted in different places and our contexts look different. Our neighborhoods look different. You know, Mm -hmm. the rhythms of our life look different, but wherever we are planted, that is, that's where we get to to surrender our lives for the sake of the kingdom by serving our neighbors and particularly by loving and being loved by the people around us, just as Jesus did, you know, that's how he lived his life. And that's the example he gives us. So to take the, to kind of take the grandeur off of this idea of, of ministry and just bring it down to street level and, and, and beginning to understand that if I'm paying attention to the place where I've been put, then there are going to be opportunities all the time to join God in the work he's already doing. 
you know, so that we're not we're not bringing God to the neighborhood. I mean, we moved into a low income neighborhood and that's something we did with intention. But it was pretty it was pretty eye opening to see and to confront within ourselves this idea that, you know, people who might be living in poverty, there can sometimes be this churchy idea that people who are poor need Jesus. Mm. And and so we got here and realized that that they were the ones that that were showing us Jesus. Yeah. So, you know, to to understand God is God was already here. He's mm-hmm. at work and he's calling all of us out to where he's at, you know, out to the streets where we get to work together for for the welfare of of the place that we've been sent. Love that. Mhm. And I feel like a lot of us have felt like that before mm-hmm. where we're, we aren't being called to, you know, lead our church or go on a mission trip necessarily. But I think, you know, y- your book has a lot of aha moments where we can yep. change what we're doing in our lives. Just what you like, what you said on the street level, which is great. Yeah. I mean, the the scripture verse that really grounds the entire book, it's, it's the passage that I've camped out in over the past year couple of years, honestly, but it's, it's from Jeremiah chapter 29. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was shocked a few years ago, you know, like I said, I've, I've grown up in the church, very familiar, I would have thought with the Bible, and yet it continues to take me by, by just blinding surprise. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's the, there's the verse that, that most churchy people know, which mm-hmm. is Jeremiah 2911. Yep. It is, yeah. you know, for I know the plans I have for you. It's a verse that we all, you know, a lot of us know it, we love it. Mm-hmm. I had never paid attention to the verses that are just in front of that. And so the the verses just the paragraph above that are telling us how to live as neighbors wherever we have been planted. Mm-hmm. And Jeremiah 29 verse 11, or I'm sorry, verse 7 says, essentially work for the peace and prosperity of the place where I have called you. And then it goes on and says, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Mm. And so to begin to understand, especially for me, you know, living in this in this diverse place that's pretty unfamiliar to me in a lot of ways when we first arrived. But to start to understand, you know, its welfare determines my welfare. If my neighbors are not free, then I'm not free either. You know, this is the (laughs) this is the kingdom of God and this is God's vision. Um for what wholeness looks like. And so we've got work to do, but the good news is we get to do it with the people around us and they're pretty amazing people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think that's so true. Like that. I mean, I know I'm guilty of it, like just reciting and memorizing one verse, but not looking at the whole context, right. <laughs> like looking at the verses before and after, but just being like, Oh yeah, I like this one. Right. right. This feels good. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like the idea of Jesus, you know, giving me, everything good, which right, is why yeah. I think we've all kind of latched onto that verse. But, you know, I think, I think the good news is good news for us when we can, when we can take that closer look and say, okay, what, what does our neighborhood and, and you know, I know that when I say neighborhood, that's going to look very different. So not everybody's in an actual neighborhood, but, but right. what does, what does my place need? And and certainly it doesn't mean that we are going to be able to come in and and fix that 
fix that fracture on our own, but it gives us a good starting point on, okay, instead of coming in and, and thinking we know what our place needs, you know, making these wild assumptions and probably getting stuff wrong and even hurting people along the way. What if we just, what if we were just normal? What if we were just normal people mm-hmm. living normal, ordinary lives, but we're paying attention. We're being attentive. We are, um, you know, we're, we're listening and we're, we're willing to endure for the long haul in this place where we've been sent. Um, and just, just kind of looking out for each other, having each other's backs and, you know, doing those little things that might seem so insignificant, but I'm just, I'm really, even over the past six months, I'm really, I'm really rethinking this, this whole um, setup where I just, we all say that we know that small things matter, but I'm starting to believe that small things are really the only things, you know, like that's, they're the most important. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the, that's what our life is made of. And if we can't, if we can't be aware of God's goodness in those small ordinary moments, then we're just, we're missing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I have loved reading your book, the ministry of ordinary places. So listeners, if you haven't read it yet, please start reading it now because Shannon does a beautiful job writing and telling her story and giving us an opportunity to kind of real evaluate our own lives, mm-hmm. um, to be better and, um, see God's goodness in all things around us. Yeah. Um, Shannon, what are some books that you're reading right now that you, that you would like to mm-hmm. share or something yeah. I it's like a good book? So what are you mm-hmm. reading? I, I am always reading something. Um, I just finished a book called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God oh. by Brian Zond. It was, it was just fantastic. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, I also finished reading a book. I think anybody who anybody who is interested in the ideas or, you know, the themes of the Ministry of Ordinary Places, the next book that that you might want to consider is called Church Forsaken. And it's a new book. It's out by Jonathan Brooks. And I got my hand, I I bought it. I mean, you know, as an author, I get a lot of books sent to me for free, but I bought that one on Amazon. I paid cash dollars for it (laughs) and it arrived and I devoured it. I highlighted it to death. And the, the cool thing about it, I mean, I even did that, you know, that thing that feels kind of creepy when you're the one doing it, but I messaged him. He has no clue who I am. And I was just, (laughs) you know, gushing over his book. Yeah. Um, but he centered his book around that same passage in Jeremiah chapter 11. So that was pretty cool to see, but it's, it's so good. It's such a good look at what, what the church can look like, what the church can, you know, the way that the church can kind of posture itself, particularly in overlooked communities. So I can't, I can't recommend it highly enough. Well, I'm going to look those up. Yes. Okay. Well, Shannon, thank you. And um, we'll just wrap this up. We can't thank you enough. I feel like I need to transcribe our conversation because you said transcribe. Is that the right? Have a transcript of of all the things you said, like, because you just had so many, like, just little nuggets of wisdom. And um, we just can't thank you enough. And I just Mm -hmm. think so, you know, like everyone needs to read your book and just um, follow you on your social media and your blogs. I know I've just really enjoyed it. And 
um, there was just a reason that we were talking to you today. So yeah, well, yes, thanks for having me on. Yeah, the best place to find me is probably on Instagram or Twitter. I love both of them with my whole heart, and I'm at (laughs) Shannon Writes on both of them. So yeah, come and find me. Let's Mm -hmm. be friends. (laughs) <laughs> yes, please. The next time I come to Goshen, I'm going to find you, Shannon. <laughs> yes, do. You that could probably, creepy, but... <laughs> you could probably just, I mean, I've probably given enough clues away that you could really just show up at my door. So you're, you're welcome. I'll just look at your Instagram account and be like, I know where she is today. <laughs> I'll make you some soup. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Shannon. <laughs> Wow, isn't Shannon just such an amazing person? We are so lucky to have her on our show, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation with her just as much as we did. And as Shannon mentioned, if you would like to go follow her, go check her out on social media at Twitter and Instagram at Shannon Writes. We also recommend you go take a look at her website, ShannonMartinWrites.com. We would also love, love for you to go check out her two books. So she has Falling Free, and her latest book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. Both amazing, both amazing. We are so thankful for you listeners, and we thank you for listening to our podcast each week. Please subscribe below if you'd like to be interested in hearing more of our podcast. We are excited for our upcoming guests, and we think it's going to be a great journey. Subscribe below. You can always rate and review us. Thanks. Bye.